Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello and welcome to the Bradley Wiggins Show, your weekly podcast throughout the 2018 Tour de France. I'm Bradley Wiggins. I'm Molly Weaver. And I'm Adam Green. And coming up today in our final show, we celebrate Geraint Thomas's stunning victory and look back at how it was done. We give our highlights and lowlights of this year's race. And we ask what the other teams need to do to catch Team Sky. Well, after three weeks of gruelling racing, massive challenges being thrown his way, he has finally done it. Yes, incredibly, Lawson Craddock has completed the Tour de France, (laughs) which is an amazing achievement in itself. But no, the huge news, of course, especially for fans of British cycling, Geraint Thomas has won Le Tour. Brad, you've known him for years and years. How are you feeling having watched what's happened? uh, I was talking to Steve Cummins yesterday after the time troll, um, he felt exactly the same way as me. We both felt quite emotional watching Geraint win the tour and the scenes of him coming across the line in the time show I'm talking about. Back in Wales, did they know that this was even a possibility three weeks ago? The end of the 105th Tour de France is in sight. And tomorrow on the Champs-Élysées, Wales will have a winner. Thomas across the line and he will win the Tour de France in 24 hours' time. You know, you don't. You watch him build up, winning these stages. You think, yes, he can win the tour. Yes, he can do it. Yes, he can get through the Pyrenees. But then, once he's actually done all that and got to the end of three weeks, and he just—it's you know his background, where he's come. We've all watched him grow up from a young age. From as we've seen the photos this week that have appeared of him as a kid, you know, in his GB top when he was sort of 10, 11 years of age, and and now he's the winner of the Tour de France. You know, it doesn't get any bigger than that. So it's. Um, it's just amazing, and it just shows you that, you know, no matter what walk of life, I mean, I used to say that, you know, to win the Tour de France, you had to be from an exotic climate and kind of, you know, it seems such a, so far away to be able to do that. But f- for him, from Cardiff, uh, just we would spoke about it last week, the, the hundreds, the thousands of kids he'll be inspiring down there now to get on their bike on Monday on the track. And, you know, he's one of us, and he's won the Tour de France, and he's now you know, the biggest name in cycling at the moment this week. So it's it's phenomenal. Molly, when Brad won, when Chris Froome won his multiple titles, perhaps there was an expectation that they were going to do so. Does this feel different slightly, do you think? Yeah, I think in some ways, even though there's been a steady progression towards it, it does feel more like a homegrown person and he's someone who is less famous outside of, you know, Britain, where we obviously know him really well. I think his raw emotion in the post-race interviews yesterday, it really felt like you just saw this like human you know, experience of it rather than, especially with Chris Froome, it's quite often quite, not robotic, but it, he's quite serious about it and he never really lets that really like raw emotion out. So seeing that, you thought, OK, this is genuinely like a kid who's dreamed of this and now he's, he's done it against all odds, you'd think. So it's something special. I can't believe it. It's, uh... oh, I'm welling up, man. I just, uh... I don't know what to say. It's just uh, overwhelming. I have to say, from my point of view of of watching many tours, the the fact that he was speechless in his post-race interviews so many times was was really touching, I think. And and like you say, gave that human side to his character, didn't it? 
Yeah, I think he's he's grown up watching cycling. He's a fan of cycling, you know, at the bottom of it all. He happens to be really good at it. He's developed, he's worked hard, but he, he, he knows what he's achieved. You know, he's a lot of people get caught up in the moment and, and win things like this, and they don't really realise what they've achieved because it's so distant to them. But with Geraint, you know, he... He's watched the tour since he was a kid, and I, you know I don't think he'd ever imagined that he would be there one day. So to him, he knows exactly what it means, and I think he's just a bit like, "Is this really happening? I've just won on Alpe d'Huez. I can't believe it." So I think it's that sense with him that with every day that went past, it was like, "I'm actually going to win the Tour de France," and it's like you're watching it sinking in while it's happening with him, and you don't see that in sport so often. It's um, people are quite blasé about what they've achieved and. Um, and I think that's why it's so refreshing watching Geraint win this because he's living out the dreams that thousands and millions of people have had, you know, to win the Tour de France, and and he's getting to to live that dream of that boyhood dream. You will know the answer to this. How does it change your life? How will it change his life? The perception to him will change people's perception. He'll feel the same inside, and everything else will be different from now on out externally. Whatever he does, whether he goes to a restaurant, buys a pint of milk, um, you know. He ain't got kids, but take your kids to school or whatever. You know, it just, it's, he's going to be very, very famous now. And, uh, you know, that's just, that's an added thing now that, you know, he left home three weeks ago, relatively unknown um, in the general public's eyes, well known in cycling circles and people that followed it. But what he would have done now is general public will know him. And, uh, you know, certainly in Wales, he probably won't be able to go back to Wales uh, and certainly walk down the street, you know, or, Without you know, I was thinking the other day, and I was going to ask this question actually to people to tweet into the podcast and ask: Is he now Wales's greatest ever sportsman? I'd like to ask that. Oh, that's a that's a big cause. <laughs> I couldn't think of anyone else. I mean, obviously you got Gareth Bale and people like that, but Colin Jackson. But um, you know, I just think yeah, that's a good one. But actually, I would like to I'd, I should put that out because I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, I would certainly think he probably is now. Yeah, you look at the, the the rugby achievements of that country. You yeah, look at yeah. look at various achievements as you've yeah. mentioned. But it certainly puts him right up there, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, I think also something about that. Again, it feels like Gareth Bale or something that feels so distant from anything you'd yeah. ever be able to do. That it's almost it's such like a celebrity thing, and it's so outside of it. Whereas he really is someone I'm sure they'll all feel like that could be me kind of thing. So it's that sort of that's that sort of person who inspires you, but in a way that's actually you feel like could be achievable. Like it's still yeah. unlikely but it's, yeah. it adds this element of, OK, maybe you could do it. It's, anything's possible. How much bigger, is, is it bigger than the Olympics and the achievement yeah, there? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, it's, it's a different kind of... Um, you know, when you win the Olympics, you win it with... You tend to win it, well, certainly Grime won it with three other guys in the team pursuit, but he also won it with, you know, in London, I think, how many gold medalists did we have in London? 38 or something, 40-odd. So you win it, you share that moment with 40 others and you're quite down the pecking order in terms of, you know, the Mo Farahs and the other, the big names winning in the Olympic Games. Whereas here, it's all about Geraint. It's Geraint Thomas. We've, and we've watched this for three weeks. We've watched it evolve. We've watched it take place. We've watched him daily and interviews and, and it, it, you know, it builds up, builds up, builds up to today in the raw emotion Molly was talking about yesterday. And here he is now. We all want to know how it feels, you know, and, and he won't be able to articulate that. And it's it's quite it's quite a thing. And um, I think as the next few weeks goes on now and the interviews take place and the kind of he looks back and I think, you know, we, we all want to get to know him a bit better or certainly the general public because he's a, he's a fantastic guy and um, he's actually very funny. He's got an incredible sense of humour and 
you know, he, he, he that doesn't always come across in the moment when he's doing those interviews because obviously he's so focused on what he's doing there and then. But get a pint in, a pint in him now and uh, he'll be the life and soul of the party, I'm sure. What will the celebrations be like in Paris and what does that first pint taste like when you've just won the Tour de France? Uh, I don't know because I've never experienced it um, because... Uh, we jumped straight back on a flight to Surrey to do the Olympic Games in 2012. So we kind of missed that one. But for them guys now, they'll stay there. It's the end of their season pretty much, other than obviously other races that they'll take part in. Um, but for Gorain, he's, um, as I say, tonight he'll they'll they'll have a team meal organised. They'll probably have sponsors there and everything. And then, um, you know, I'm sure... Normally they they'll get pretty wasted, Luke Rowe and Garayton and all that. And I'm sure Dave and the team will be telling him, "Be careful now, because you're the winner of the Tour de France, and and what you used to do and get drunk and rolling around on the floor being sick after the Tour de France, <laughs> you're probably not going to be able to do that tonight because you'll be in the newspapers tomorrow morning. So it's kind of that's kind of that what you were saying about how does it change for you now? Things you normally did or got away with, you know." People are aware of it now and watching you, and, and everything you do becomes a news story. So he's, he, you know, he's, he's, it's, uh, you discover that pretty quickly. Um, but he'll have to, uh, you know, I'll say the, the most normal things you did three weeks ago now um, will be, I mean, but for him, you know, he'll go back. He lives in Monaco and stuff, so they'll go back there, and they're probably they're a bit more used to the fame and celebrities there than, say, going back to Cardiff. But I guess the first time he does go back to Cardiff, you know, there'll be scenes. Um, <laughs> there'll be scenes like when Ronaldo signed for Juventus you know I'm sure will Luke Rowe carry on his role in terms he might take Geraint's drinks for him like you know you, you oh, can't Luke, Luke will make up for him don't worry Luke will get stuck in and be sick and everything I guarantee that so uh, yeah um, Molly is, is there a sense at the end of a, of, a, of a race you know that all the teams celebrate together do you, do you allow yourself those moments to sort of look at what other teams have achieved? I think it always depends on what you had coming up. If you had something else to go to, you always oh, I have to like be good and get to bed early and then, yeah, maybe travel somewhere else. But if not, yeah, and team managers are normally like, they tell you to be careful, but they kind of know you're going to go and have a bit of a drink. And actually after Lizzie won at Richmond... Actually, that was when um, British Cycling actually were just like, okay, now you can go and get drunk, now you've won. And they kind of encouraged it. And yeah. actually, all like, the N23 boys came with us and we had champagne at dinner. And then I think if you've won, it's a bit more, yeah. you know, everyone only, celebrates yeah, a bit like, light in it. Definitely enjoy the moment, yeah. like Molly said, you know, when when Lizzie won a world title or you want to share that moment with your teammates. Because let's not forget, you know, he's had seven guys that have, have gone every step. And we've just, you know, we've seen... You know, all them unsung heroes in many respects. Kwiatowski, you know, special mention of Luke Rowe, road captain who's been phenomenal and broke his leg last year and probably didn't even expect to be here. Walt Powell's, you know, all these guys, we, you know, no one's seen because obviously Geraint gets all the plaudits, but you forget about the team that have put him there to do that oh, for three weeks. Um, even the bloke who punched the geezer the other day and got sent home, Johnny, you know, he'll be sat at home now. I'm sure they've flown him back out to Paris to be part of it all. He'll have a drink, probably get in a fight somewhere along the line. <laughs> but, um, let's have a look how G went and won the tour. Even last week, we weren't sure how the Froome-Thomas situation would play out, and it was Wednesday stage at Col de Porte, which really put this conversation to bed. Froome was dropped after attacks by Primus Roglic and Tom de Moulin, while Thomas came third. What are your thoughts, Brad, looking back over the last week on, on how G rode in the tour. Well, he just he never looked in trouble at any point. He never looked. I don't think he's been out the first ten riders in this whole Tour de France. He's just been relentlessly there, never put a foot wrong, never looked in any difficulty. Um, 
you know, the hardest I've seen him try is when he does that surge and that sprint for the line on those mountain stages a couple of hundred metres out. Um, and he's just been, he's been flawless the whole way. I mean, it's been a joy to watch, really. And, um, you know, the way he climbs and everything, he just, he's never, you know, he's earned every every pedal stroke of this win, really. I don't think there's not been a point where he got slightly, the, the, the most luck he had was that he didn't fall off when that spectator tried to grab him over the barrier that day. I mean, that's probably the, there was a the lock scariest up, moment. A lock-up in the time trial momentarily, wasn't there? Yeah. But, yeah. That was about it, wasn't it, for the, yeah. the whole tour? Yeah, and I think in the first couple of weeks, a lot of people were commenting on, oh, you know, he hasn't had the bad luck, so that's the only reason he's there kind of thing. And then he put that to bed in the last in the last week. He was mm. by far the strongest rider. He took way more time than he lost in any of the misfortune of others like that they lost to him. So I think it's one of those things that he, he really put a statement down that, no, he won that because he was the strongest rider in the race. There was, you know, any bad luck, he, he surpassed that by over a minute, so it's kind of became irrelevant in the end. At the stage to Larens the other day, Chris Froome riding for Geraint Thomas. Uh, what, what did you make of, of that? Because it seemed quite a significant moment in the race. Um, yeah, I think there was, obviously, I think we a lot of us expected maybe that to happen a lot earlier than it did. And, it you know, it, it came quite late in the day, which I was surprised about, really, because I, I, I thought once Geraint had won that Alpduis stage, that in my mind, there was no... There was no question of who was the leader, really, on a physical. I know that they they were debating it still, whether that was in, intentional or not. Don't know. They've still finished with two riders on the podium, but you know it, it, they did. They also didn't need to because they had such strength in numbers, so they could afford to leave Chris um, um, back in the line as long as possible, really. And, and Bernal in that last week was just fun. I mean, he's better than he was in the second week. You know, he just he seems he was just relentless. And even when Chris got dropped. Um, you know, Bernal was the one who brought him back on the Obisque. And so I think, you know, they were in a fortunate position in many respects that they didn't have to use Chris when they needed him because the team was so strong and did an incredible job for him. That was real drama, wasn't it, through the mist? Yeah. Just getting him back on and, and absolutely mm. burying himself, didn't he? Yeah, and he'd already done his job, if you remember. And he'd swung over and kind of was out of the picture once Tom Dumoulin started attacking and he was he was still there plugging away, this 21-year-old kid who speaks perfect English, he knows Colombian, who's got the, few, the you know the world at his feet in terms of the next 10, 15 years. You, know? mm. you think by the time he's Geraint's age, how many tours he would have won the way he is at the moment, you, you wouldn't put it past him, certainly winning five. What did you both make of Geraint's mental strength? He kept saying in interviews one day at mm. a time, he played it very cool throughout the three weeks, didn't he? Yeah, I think you could see he was just not letting himself think that he had it in the bag and that it was won and you could see, yeah, like I said earlier about the emotion, the last, the latest interviews he's done, it was almost like that was the first moment he let himself feel like yeah. he'd won the Tour de France. And up until that point, anything can happen, and he kept a very level head, and he sort of played off any people saying, oh, you've won the Tour now, because, you know, at the end of the day, you could have had a mechanical or a crash or a really bad day. Um, so it was kind of, he kept himself really calm, collected, and just didn't let the, the interviews always going to say, oh, so you've won the Tour, and try and, you know, get that reaction out of you, but he just played it off and, and kept calm, and it obviously paid off in the end. And they're the masters of that as well. I mean, you know, he's he's had a good, good education as far as you know handling the media, and you know he's he's watched his teammate Chris Froome win the Tour de France four times over the years, and and seen how he's conducted himself in interviews and press conference days, and obviously he's been to the Olympics G and won two finals at the Olympics, and the build up and the media and all that. So I think you know he's at that ripe age now, thirty two. He's mature as an athlete and as a person, and. His, his laid, how laid back he is, I spoke about last week, you know, that, that's just 
carried him through and he'll continue to be the same in you know I don't think this this won't change him at all he'll still be the same person and the same athlete going forward and and you know I wouldn't put it past him winning again next year really yeah I really wouldn't this I think this could be the start for him now you know he's 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 he can win he's won the tour and he now believes he can win the tour and I think it will only drive him on to to do it again in boxing, you might talk about ring craft, but all those thousands of kilometres he's ridden in all the tours that he's done, he's learning all the time, isn't he? Do you think yeah. he's, he's used that experience to great effect this time? Yeah, around? and I think he's had so many mishaps in the tour. He had broken pelvis one year, he broke his collarbone last year, and he's just, you know, he's 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 had a, a brilliant kind of schooling in a, in a great team with great riders around him all the time. So he's he's like his first tour was in 2007 when he was riding for Barla World and. He was 21 years of age then and, you know, kind of just, you know, I remember everyone was raving about him at that time as to how well he was doing in his first Tour de France. You know, he was doing lead-outs for his teammate Robbie Hunter and he finished the Tour that year, exhausted and finished it. But, you know, people were talking about him then, maybe not as a future Tour winner, but what a career this guy's got ahead of him. So, you know, th- this isn't a surprise, as a, as a lot of people say. This is, you know, he's been knocking on the door for many years now. Well, Chris Hoy is in Paris for Eurosport, and earlier Brad had a chat with him about G's achievements. What's the atmosphere like out there? Oh, it's incredible, incredible. Yeah, I mean, the last time I was at a Tour de France was when Sean Kelly was still riding back in '91. So um, it's great to be back here again. Amazing. You know G pretty well, and obviously because he's been on the track for, squad for so many years. But I mean, there was a great picture the other day of you guys watching the finish in Newport in 2012. And obviously, G stood there. I mean, I, I can't imagine he would have thought that five years later he'd be doing it himself and, and winning in Paris. But I mean, as a guy, what 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 do you sort of? How do you summarise G as a person? Well, it, Bradley, it's Bradley Stern is one of these guys who you never hear a bad word about. He's just, you know, he was one of the team. He always played a team role. Very unassuming, very humble, but a hard worker, and he just dealt with setbacks time and time again, crashes disappointment and I think he wouldn't have expected this he, he didn't believe it would happen you know when he won the stage in Alpes I think that was enough for him that was his moment and I think he, he couldn't believe that but to think that he could hang on to the old jersey not just hang on to it but control the race you know he was the strongest rider he won it on merit um, it's just it's, it's goosebumps at the moment standing here in the Champs-Élysées just thinking you know in the same way that we all felt when you won the tour and um, Bloody hell! Yeah, <laughs> one of ours. We know one of our own. Um, it's it's an amazing feeling, and the parallels between your victory here, you know, six years ago and, and today, it's, it's incredible. So yeah, fantastic, fantastic. There's, everybody you speak to, they're just so emotional about it, so happy for him. Um, yeah, it's quite quite amazing. And of course, you know, he's another he's another product of British cycling. He was there from the start, talent team, and then of course Rod's program in 2005 and. Just again, I guess because kind of we've all seen him grow up from a teenager, especially you know with Mark Cavendish and everyone. And I mean that that's extra special as well, I think, because again he's another product of British cycling. And how do you think Rod Ellingworth will be feeling now? I mean, obviously he discovered him and coached him from a young age. I mean, it must be quite an emotional feeling for him, quite you know right now. I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. It's all quite surreal, you know. It is when you look back. And you think about, you know, I was chatting with um, Rod earlier on, and or Sir, Sir Rod, as he's been, been called, um, getting nicknamed now. Um, you know, Rod Ellingworth, the group that he, he took through from, literally from boys, you know, straight from school, 
and what that group's achieved, Ed Clancy in there as well, you know, just just phenomenal. It really is. It makes makes me so proud because, you know, when I used to come watch the tour when I was 14, 13, 14, 15 on holiday with my parents, you know, just to have Robert Miller to cheer on was fantastic. But to think now that a whole generation of young cycling fans have watched yourself, they've watched Chris Froome, they've watched Carl, they've watched Garrett, they've watched Steve Cummings, you know, they've watched so many other British riders performing at this level, then they'll believe they can do it too. It's not it's not a pipe dream, it's, it's, it's a reality. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, well, thanks for joining us, Chris, anyway, and um, enjoy the celebrations. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Take care. Eurosport Player is the only place to watch every minute of the Tour de France live and on demand. Visit eurosportplayer.com now to sign up for your free seven-day trial. Follow every stage of the world's biggest cycling race from every angle with six live camera streams to choose from, plus an uninterrupted ad-free feed and the very best expert analysis and commentary. Now, despite G's win, Sky remained deeply unpopular with large parts of the French public. A spectator tried to push him off as he rode up Col de Porte. There were plenty of boos on the podium. There were also loud boos during Froome's time trial and the Sky bus was pelted with eggs. Now, Chris Froome claims this spurred the team on. Do you think it could have had that effect? Would it make you go, right, we're winning this? I think for them... Probably did. I mean, I think they certainly had a unity amongst the team, you know, the riders, and um, that's the way they'd have handled it for sure, you know, as long as it, it didn't go too far, like someone trying to pull G off his bike or, you know, resulted in violence or anything like that. You know, let them do their job. And if the, but so certainly they would have had a, a sense of unity about them. This isn't the first time, obviously, they've had a few years of this. Um, and you can see that. You can see the way they ride together and that, 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 that you know, it draws them, I think it draws them closer together. Yeah, definitely. We've seen Sky's dominance. Does it take anything away from G's achievements, given how strong they are? No, I don't think so. I think, OK, he's had an advantage of having more teammates in a final, maybe. But when it came down to the last part of a race, he was still the strongest rider. He's had to climb that mountain. It wasn't going to give him that much of a difference in the high mountains, having it, someone pace it, he's had to be able to ride with that pace. And you saw in that final time try, I think, if he hadn't been defending a yellow jersey and taking it a bit easier, I think he could have won that. He said he had good legs, but he had to kind of hold back a bit. And I think he clearly was the strongest rider on the day. I think it, obviously it helps and it gave him an advantage, but I don't think it would have been the difference between winning and losing mm. the tour necessarily. Yeah, I mean, they just that's the nature of sport. You know, they, they've all worked as a team, just, you know, as, as hard as G has worked to put himself where he is. You know, you've got seven other guys that have worked just as hard. They just have different jobs and different roles and at different levels, and they they work the hardest as a team. You know, you can't. You know, obviously everyone trains hard and this that, and the other, but they they this is their one race of the year that they put everything into, all their resource, everything. This is their this is their Tour de France is their the highlight of their season. It's the biggest race, and they get ready for it. And they've got a template now of how to get ready for that. And they all go away and train together, and they all prepare for this and and you know that's it's for other teams to catch them now it's not for them to say okay we're too dominant we'll slow down obviously they've got a big budget and this that and the other but you know that's you know you can't blame a company or a big company like sky coming in and, and throwing that much money into the sport and um they've done fantastic you know aside from obviously 
Dave keeps coming on the telly and <laughs> causing mayhem <laughs> with his comments. <laughs> I can't work out if he's stupid or he's doing it on purpose, you know, and he's really intelligent because it's just, it seems ludicrous from the outside watching it, you know, and kind of making these comments, they get blown out and people, they, they the riders get the results of his comments while he's hiding the bus and then they come on again and then he says, oh, I'm sorry about that a few days later and comes out with things like, I'm a Francophile and I can I can imagine Dave kind of sat at home with onions around his neck and a beret and a little moustache as a Francophile. <laughs> but, um, Watch this space. You know, it can it kind of, it's noise for, for 24 hours, 48 hours, what Dave said. But then once the guys go out and they deliver and they do their performance, it's kind of, that's all put to bed. It's just all part of the circus on the side of it all. You mentioned that template. Could any GC rider come into Team Sky and win the tour? Well, I'm sure they could. I'm sure you can imagine Tom Dumoulin there, the type of rider he is. Uh, this, you know, uh, Primos Rodlic, you know, I think he's another one, amazing tour. And I think, you know, again, special no- shout out to that team. I think Lotto Jumbo, they've been fantastic this race. You know, what they've they really took it on and tried to win the tour. Um, certainly on the uh, Madeleine the other day when Guessing started riding. And so. Um, yeah, I think as long as that rider fitted into their way of doing things and kind of... But they're not short of a few GC riders at the moment. So I think, you know, as I said last week, there's, there's a few other guys there that you could see winning a Grand Tour. Certainly Wout Powell's the way he's performed. Um, and, of course, Iga Bernal. You know, there's, 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 they've, got, they've got strength in numbers. What do other teams need to do, Molly, to catch up with Team Sky? I think it's a lot of it. Get Dave B on yeah, board. Yeah. <laughs> Change of management. No, I think it's a little bit what you said, what Bradley said about not diluting with other things. I think they go 100% and they're in a relatively privileged position to be able to do that. But they put all their resources into this race. I mean, gee, the whole season it was for the Tour de France. It wasn't, they didn't try and like, you know, have other races that, I mean, the Dauphin, maybe that was as preparation. Whereas if you look at riders who maybe underperformed a little bit, like a Roman Bardet or someone, well, this year he went for some of the classics and that was a big target to try those. And you think, yeah, how much of, you know, that given that it's so, it is so marginal at the top of the sport and how much did that actually take away from, from the complete preparation for the tour. So maybe it's just that they, they focus so much on it. Their whole year is built around it that it's just that edge it gives them. Dave Brailsford has said he started to see other teams cropping up at uh, sports performance events around the world, including Lotto NL Yumbo, mm. who you mentioned. They seem to be trying to maybe emulate Sky. Is that the way they've got to go to catch them? Well, up? I think you know you can you never finish learning, and it's obviously I think it's just it's of interest to see how other people do things. I know Gareth Southgate went off and watched American football and things like that during the winter month to kind of see how they handled the media and stuff. So when it came to the World Cup, he could, you know, implement the same thing. And I I think it's no different. I think, you know, Sky was basically kind of, in some ways, copying other sports and taking the good things from what other sports teams did and, and, you know, kind of using that and have now almost paved the way for, for other teams to follow them, really. So I think it's rather than teams kind of giving up and saying, oh, we can't compete with Sky, they've got too much money and... It's kind of well. How can we catch them up a bit? You know, what are they doing that we're not doing? And going out and and looking to improve yourself. I think that's you know that's a better way of 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 tackling it than kind of just giving up and complaining about the money side of it. Yeah, I think you also can't copy it directly. I mean, they've cracked a certain formula, and you can see maybe with the Lotto, Lotto NL Yumbo, they're trying to go about it a different way, and they didn't quite get it this year, but they were almost there. I mean, we've had it in seasons on the women's side as well. There was one year where Bowles Dolmans won everything, maybe two years, and they were the richest team. And there was this sense of like, well, that's it. They've got all the money, they've got the best riders, and we can't beat them. But actually, you just have to start working out what your formula is 
to get around the fact that they've cracked this way of winning it. So I think maybe in, in a couple of years we'll see like other teams going about it a different way and actually you know just starting to compete with them a lot closer. While we're enjoying uh, Geraint's ride around Paris today, there was also a stage going on. What did you make of the, the finale into Paris? Yeah, I mean, it's always spectacular to watch. And um, uh, yeah, I think Christoph, you know, the sprinters are obviously limited now, as we spoke about a few times. And there's been some debate this week about whether Arnold Demar should even be in the race still, and particularly with what Andre Greipel tweeted the other day. Um, so it's... Uh, but I think Christoph, you know, we'd have picked him or Sagan today as, as a winner. Uh, Sagan obviously hasn't looked himself the last couple of days since his crash. Um but he's equaled now the record, I think, of Zabel and, you know, kind of sealed and put his name well and truly on that green jersey. And But, yeah, it was good. And I thought it looked like um, the quick life Lampeter was probably going to get it for, for, for a short while, certainly 500 to go. We were questioning whether they were actually going to get him back or not. But I think, you know, that's almost a sideshow to the, to the real story of, of Geraint's parade and coming across the line and stuff. So, Well, you two called it because I was there. We were watching it on the screen and I'm thinking, he's going to make it. And then you both said no. The sprint train, yeah. it, it's going to get him. <laughs> yeah, once, yeah, you can yeah. see it winding up and he looked behind him and you almost saw his shoulders drop a bit and you thought, oh, he's, that's that's it. You can see a moment where, I mean, once they're sprinting, they've got fresher legs than you, they're, they're better sprinters than you. You've been out for like 2K at that point and you can, you almost, as soon as you look behind him, I thought that, that's it, you've let it now get in your head anyway so you've already just like dropped and slumped a bit and then it's over then. <laughs> it can yeah. be that quick, just a brief glance well, over the shoulder. I think on the... Champs-Élysées as well, the cobbles, they they don't look that hard, but when you're on them, it's quite bumpy and there's ruts in the road and things. And I think, you know, when it, it just, just adds that extra bit. Of, you know, when you're dying and your legs are dying, if your speed's dropping off, the cobbles just add. It's like running through quicksand, really. And I think once those sprinters open this sprint, you know, the difference, they're going off the lead out, they, you know, they increase by another 10k an hour. It just, the gap shrinks once it does that. So I think it's... Uh, it looked good for a bit, but uh, I think you know once you saw, I think it was John Dakenlob's team come up the outside trek, and um, yeah, they really increased the speed and come into that last corner, and that was it for him then. I should never have doubted you both. You, you clearly know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you mentioned Peter Sagan there. He's won the green jersey again, the sixth time he's worn it on the podium in Paris. And he did well to finish the tour. We saw him struggling up the mountains the other day after uh, crashing earlier in the week. But in the main, he's been a real joy, hasn't he, to watch? Yeah, and I think it, you know it's quite rare to see him suffering the way he suffered the last couple of days. And um, he didn't ride a skin suit in the time trial, and that normally says to me straight away that his his injuries are quite bad. That he perhaps didn't want the uncomfort, you know, how uncomfortable to wear a skin suit or whatever, because he saw his back shredded. And so I think he, um, yeah, he clearly had a, a tough time the last couple of days, and you know, certainly the last two sprint stages a few days ago and today. He wasn't quite there um, where, where you normally expect him to be. Uh, another character, Julian Alaphilippe, the polka dot jersey has gone to him. He lit up the race this year, especially with his two stage wins. And I mean, I, I love watching him. He just seems a mm. huge character. Is that the kind of cyclist that the sport needs? You yeah, need big names think, like that. I think France needs him as well. I think, um, you know, with, with one big character in Sylvain Chavanel going out the sport, retiring. You know, Alaphilippe stepped up and is now sort of darling of France, really. And, you know, combined with Romain Bardet and his personality, I think, you know, that's that's exactly what the French cycling needs now, really. And, you know, with it, the class, you know, the, the way he descends, kind of his attacking style. I don't think he's not been in a breakaway the last couple of weeks. And uh, two stage wins as well. And 
you know, again, the start of something special the next few years for him. Do you think he's the best descender at the top level at the moment? I mean, I watch him and I, I cannot believe the speed he's oh, I think taking. Six again, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think he had the you know, he was at the front of the race most days in the mountain, so you get to watch him descending. But um, it's just a shame that Sagan crashed going down. Yeah, because uh, that's kind of put a little tick next to him. But apparently, it was in the peloton though, so you can blame yeah. someone else for that. <laughs> that's, I suppose, yeah, for, for the fans of cycling, such as myself, when you're seeing someone leading the race, they're in your thoughts, aren't they? But you're seeing the technical, maybe yeah. maybe flaws of Alaphilippe compared with Sagan. Uh, yeah, no, just uh, yeah, I think they, he's <laughs> just also amazing. amazing. But... I mean, yeah, a lot of them guys at the back are, and they have to be because that's how they make the time up. Um, you know, Rolich the other day, you know, he was incredible on that descent for his stage win. Um, rode basically the group off his wheel. and um, So, yeah, it's, it's just... Um, but, yeah, Alaphilippe, you know, he is exceptional at what he does going uphill and down, which is why he won two stages. That stage that you mentioned, Roglic making that tiny increase, the, the gap just opening up, mm. I mean, it's thrilling to watch. But what's he doing to get away from people behind who are also doing, you know, 70 kilometres I think that at that speed, it's just micro-adjustments, you know, maybe leaning into the, his line into the corner slightly better than one person behind, um, you know, just distribution of his body weight onto to the, the, the opposite side to what you're cornering that just gives you that bit of extra grip. And, and obviously, with him being a downhill skier as well, he'll, have, he'll have, uh, be a bit more in tune with kind of his body movement in terms of the distribution of his weight, which comes from skiing and stuff, and it, it's very similar to going downhill on a bike. And then you look at the opposite to that, someone like Zacharin, who was having all sorts of troubles just trying to stay with the group. Um, you know, And he's had quite a few horrendous crashes going downhill as well, which, again, plays in, on your mind when you're descending because you have to be confident in the equipment, the tyres, and you, you're on it. And you know, we saw what it did to Adam uh, Yates on when he was going to win the stage, and obviously he crashed and... He just couldn't descend after that again. So it was stiff, and you saw him like the has, angle of the bike. Is, yeah, it's about confidence and everything, you know. Molly, so. you, you smoked slightly with Zachary in there. What? What's the difference there? <laughs> I thought for? you said she smoked with. Zachary. I know. I was. I did it. She's had a smoke. Let's not start that rumor. <laughs> so, so, what's what's he doing that that makes you go? Oh, it's not. Quite I mean, happening. He's, a bit, he's a bit all over the bike in that. Yeah, he looks he, like a newborn calf. Yeah, he, <laughs> trying to stand up. It looks like he has, he has yeah. no control over his limbs. It's really like. I think it's just you can see his. You can see that he's not comfortable with that speed effectively. So the others, are like you know, on their bike, they're drilled. Yeah. They're like dialed into that position. You can see he's actually uncomfortable going, you know, at that yeah. pace around those corners, but he has to. So then you can almost see that like, just leaning the bikes the wrong way. You All can, the movements, yeah. It's, uh, kind he's of moving his body a lot when actually you can move the bike and it's over braking. Yeah. So he locked up and then yeah. that plays that just it's just the domino just effect onto arms, the next corner. So yeah, so yeah it's, it's, it's it's an art form and to watch it like that and see it play out and it was great shots that day of watching them how the group you know we're going from the back of the group with Zachary in and to the front where Rolich was just taking a metre two metres in each corner and before you know it he's got ten seconds and it's impressive and obviously there was some talk about the motorbike assisting him but they're there and that's what's giving us the shots and as a rider you make the most of that you know you're not you're not uh, kind of thinking about not getting on the motorbike because they can help you. <laughs> and, and as I said last week, you know, you'll watch the motor, the gendarmes ahead of you and you can see the brake light on the um, on the motorbike. So you can see the gendarmes braking, how hard they brake into the corner. Sometimes they may just feather it with a brake light and so you can you know how hard that they can, you know, you see how they take the corner. So then that gives you just a few seconds to, to take your line and, and, and how hard you can bank over and... Great visual clue for you. Mm, yeah. Uh, now we'll be back with highlights and lowlights of the 2018 tour after this. 
great teams flourish at the Tour de France, and Eurosport have brought a sparkling lineup to the world's premier cycling race. Coverage is fronted by Jonathan Edwards with analysis from Brian Smith and a host of guests, plus Matt Stevens as race reporter and the inimitable Carlton Kirby, Rob Hatch, and Sean Kelly in the commentary box. So join us for three weeks of unbeatable drama live on Eurosport. Now, a quick shout to Philippe Gilbert, who had a very dramatic crash on stage 16 when he flew over a wall and down a ravine. Now, incredibly, he then rode the final 50 kilometres to the finish with a broken knee. We see riders continuing races with serious injuries all the time. Why do they do it? Just your instinct is to get back on your bike and finish. You know, it's the Tour de France, it's telling you're on TV and... um... He was leading the race, you know, and you're still in that mode and that you know, kind of that mindset, you know, and you, you, it's, it's just no matter how bad you are, your instinct is to get on the bike, get to the finish, and then we'll assess the damage. And I think that's what he did. And obviously the adrenaline would have been flowing because he'd just gone over that wall. He, part of him would have kind of been sat there on that wall while they were trying to get his bike ready, just thinking, shit, you know, shit I'm still alive. And, you know, kind of thank God that wasn't a 40 foot drop. And, and then that, that kind of shock may have set in a bit after that and you, you probably wouldn't have been aware that his knee was even sore at that point. And I think we saw him riding along taking his gloves off and shaking his wrist and kind of just trying to assess himself. Well, I seem all right, everything's moving. And then obviously he probably didn't realise till he got to the finish that actually my knee's quite sore now. And, and massive. <laughs> and I think uh, we saw him trying to get out of the medical truck and being assisted and, and that's when things, you know, once the adrenaline's worn off and the pain starts coming through and I'm sure you had a pretty painful yeah. night. It was spectacular, wasn't it? Yeah, but I think a lot of times, obviously the shock factor in that one, a lot of times you don't feel it really. You have that immediate impact, but then you're just on your bike, you get adrenaline, you don't, you don't actually know the extent of it. And normally, if you haven't got a concussion or you haven't got something visibly like really badly broken, your DS in a stage race was like, if you can, you'll carry on because maybe you're not that badly hurt and, and there's more days to come. And then after the race, they'll then check you over and see, okay, what's the actual damage? Is it possible? But I don't. I think you'd have had more of a shock and then it, the pain would have set in later as, it, as you know, you had time to settle down, his heart rate to go down, the adrenaline to stop pumping so much. I mean, what are your personal experiences? What's the, the furthest you've ridden knowing that you've been severely beaten up? Yeah, when you hurt, you hurt most of the time. Sometimes you, you, you're just unable. I mean, I broke my collarbone in the tour one year and... I just couldn't hold the handlebars, so there was, I couldn't even get on the bike. So I knew something. Did you was, try to get? I tried to, but you know, at some point you realise that it's it's not going to happen, and you know the doctors are saying, "No, I think you, it's over, it's over." So I think at that point it's quite hard to get through as a rider when you when you're in that moment. But um, yeah, luckily I've not had any experiences like that because I know uh, I've certainly over the years seen people riding onto the finish with a broken collarbone, and you can o- quite often do a lot more damage in doing that and. It's um, it's a tough sport, definitely. Have you ever had moments, Molly, when you've, you've simply thought, I've, I've just got a soldier on here? Yeah, I've had it in a stage race in France, route to France, we used to have it a couple of years back, and I smashed my face open. We did a lead-out for an intermediate sprint, and our whole like, lead-out train came down, and my teammate broke her shoulder and her collarbone, and I smashed my face open. 
and kind of like I knew it was bad because I was bleeding a lot but you haven't got a mirror and your DS is like oh have a paracetamol and we'll put like a plaster on it and you'll be alright and she got back up as well and then she then fell off a bit later down the road and got off but he was like just to get to the finish and the teammate dropped back for me and we rode the next like 60k and all these like laps of this town and then it was only after you go to the hospital and you're like okay it's like a lot of stitches and I did my knee and you're like okay let's, let's cut our losses and go home but at the time you think okay maybe you get some stitches and you get it patched up and you'll come good so it's Maybe we're not the right decision, but you don't know that until afterwards. I, I skied with a broken leg on the jump when I did the skiing TV show. Ooh. I broke my leg two days before the first show, and they said, you're going to have to do the first show because <laughs> you're part of the show. Do you have a paracetamol? So I, I, did the, I skied the first slalom show with a broken leg, and I think I made it worse. Well, you're probably. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, so I'm no medic. But, but you know, that's TV. The show has to go on. You know, you've got to get... We need to... Yeah, so that was the only time. So not in cycling, but it's a completely different. Well, you have my admiration for, for that. That's incredible. Um, we talk about Gilbert, his crash. Is there a risk that people are getting so good at descending, the risks are too great? Is it becoming too well, dangerous? Yeah, so I was listening to Lance Armstrong talk about this the other day on his podcast, and there was some debate. in the talk. They were talking to him. They looked at the footage, and he was in this new super tuck where they get on the top tube, down on the bars, you know, there's a lot of rides. We've seen Alaphilippe doing that. And as to it, how is it dangerous, that position? Because it, it, it really adds 8 to 10k an hour on top of your top. It's a lot faster yeah, and it's to do it. Yeah. And obviously when you're down there, it is very unstable. And, and so he was in that super tuck just on the bends before it got out the tuck and into an, onto his saddle and then obviously realised he was coming into that corner too hot. So then broke... And in braking, then obviously his back wheel locked up, as they do with carbon rims. And in, it was the skidding that put him out of control. And then he sort of skidded into the wall sideways and went over. So it's like, well, how do you prevent that in the first place? You know, was are the riders simply going too fast now with these super tucks and getting in? Obviously, it's a lot faster, so it's difficult to say. But, um, you know, carbon rims, carbon brake pads, they 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 lock up if you brake too hard. And obviously, that's one of the advantages now, I think, of disc brakes which, you know, there's been some debate, but this, the stopping distances seem to be a lot better and you don't lock up. So um, it's just part and parcel of the sport and how fast the sport is getting, the technology and everything that's involved in the sport now that obviously puts more risk on these guys going down the hills. But, um, you know, that's one for the industry and things to talk about and think about. Everyone, everyone wants to go as fast as they can, so it's a difficult one to try and hold back. But... You know, these roads were built hundreds of years ago <laughs> and so uh, they're not going to change, but obviously the sport's getting faster. Maybe Zacharine's got the right idea, Molly. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe a middle ground. But I think mean, a lot of riders are calling for there being a ban on riders going on the top tube and stuff, but again, it's more so it's difficult to regulate like how low a rider's yeah. allowed to get then. I mean, you know, what counts as a, a tuck and what... Do, I think <laughs> you're then like into like finding and analysing exactly how low they were and I think it's... You're then, you know... Just in a, diff- a position where it's like a really murky rule that's going to come in, so yeah, I think maybe just have to slow down a bit as individuals rather than have a rule that prevents. But it. then we can see you can how you can win a race on a descent like Rodlich. You know how that's what makes you a better bike rider than other people. How much risk you're willing to take, and it's impressive watching it. That's what it's all about. So I think you know it's uh, it's difficult to hold back. You can't yeah. kind of suddenly hold. But that's it. that's the entertainment. That's mm. what you know define someone as a better bike rider than someone else is the fact that someone like Rodlich can actually take time in a descent and, and win a stage. We'll talk highlights in a few minutes' time later in the podcast. I think that was one of mine, though, watching him mm. do that. It was, it was just extraordinary. Uh, we mentioned Lawson Craddock rode the entire tour with a broken shoulder. 
put that into Yeah, it's amazing. Words. I mean, I don't think he would... Was it day one? Yeah, and feeds in day one. Three weeks on. He's probably healed now. The race is that long. <laughs> but that's just... That's the nature of the Tour de France. That's how long it is. And we followed his story right from the start. He was, you know, also racing for... To raise money for the velodrome in Houston that was, um, you know, decimated by Hurricane, you know, him being in the race, it gave him a, another cause, you know, well, it's not all, you know, he was devastated on day one when he crashed, he was in tears and... Raised $100,000. And, um, you know, but he's carried on because obviously that was a big part behind him and I think he's certainly won a lot of new fans from the way he became a, a bit of a celeb, didn't he, within the mm. peloton? Yeah, I think he became this famous rider on their team <laughs> for coming last, but in a, in a spectacular way. Mm. I, think I didn't really expect him to last through the Roubaix stage, so once he'd done that, I thought, OK, now maybe you're going to make it to Paris. Mm. Uh, let's look back on the tour as a whole. Now, so many sprinters missing the cut-off time, so many GC guys crashing out. Was the route too punishing? No, I think the tour's different every year, but, you know, I think it's it's the tour and that's why we all watch it. You know, if it was easy, everyone would be doing it and I think that's the spectacle of the Tour de France. You know, it's a lot easier than it used to be, um, that's for sure. You know, I was looking at something that's completely off t- off tap, but I was looking the 1949 edition of the race when Fausto Coppi won. The last stage was 340 kilometres <laughs> from Nancy to Paris, <laughs> so, and they had a 137 137 kilometre mountain time trial that year. So um, wow, <laughs> and the race was 5,000 kilometres long. So it's um, certainly a lot easier than it was 69 years ago. <laughs> but, it's the spectacle, and I think there's a right mixture between you know the 65 kilometer stage, which was just fantastic to watch, and obviously the longer stages, which we all said was boring to watch. Um, and I think the right amount of time trials. And as a spectator, I thought it was a brilliant race, and uh, you know it's it's different for the riders, but fantastic to watch. Anything you haven't liked about this year's tour? I mean, for me, I thought the grid start yeah, that was, was a that was, that was just waste of time. Anticlimax of the race. That was dreadful. I mean, that was really dreadful. Just but, um, should they maybe run in the cleats up to the bikes? <laughs> like a cross like start, that? like jump on no. the bike, yeah. Uh, no, I think uh, in, as, on a whole, it's been really good. Um, I think we had a team time trial, didn't we? We had a, you know, an individual time trial at the end. and um, I, I would have liked to have seen more summit finishes because I think they're more spectacular than the kind of 20k downhill at the end. And... Um, but that's just from a personal point of view. And, you know, I think if you asked the riders, they'd probably had enough summit finishes. <laughs> but certainly the day Quintana one, that was that was brilliant to watch. And um, probably the worst ones to ride are the brilliant best ones to watch. So, Which riders, and, and maybe Quintana's on the list, which riders maybe didn't hit the heights, pardon the pun, of... of uh, <laughs> of what maybe we were expecting them to do at the tour. I think boy, the whole movie star team was a bit flat. You know, they had that three-pronged attack and that was something that was really discussed before. Like, oh, the three leaders, like, who's it going to be? And they can use each other. Maybe one has a bad day and then kind of they all had bad days in the end and it kind of fell a bit flat. That I thought that was going to really light up the race, having three options and, you know, how they're going to attack that. Um, but actually, compared to G and actually to Mulan as well, um, I think a lot of riders were a little bit flatter than maybe they expected in this race or they were just a level above. I mean, it's hard to say which way it is. Maybe the other riders were exactly where they thought they'd be and they just didn't anticipate that there was riders who were going to be a, a step above that. Adam Yates as well, maybe a name that we'd, we'd yeah, mentioned. Yeah, but then he came good in the end and obviously nearly won a stage, but for a crash. Bardet was kind of up and down. He'd have good days, bad days. Um, but I think I think just Sky's strangle on the race, how strong they were in every department... I think you know it was it was difficult for other riders. So Bardet tried to take it on in the Alps and tried to attack on Alpe d'Huez, and 
So rather than just sitting there and maybe trying to finish third on the podium, you know, he really he tried to win the race. So and in doing that, maybe left himself open and vulnerable to bad days later on. But you know, you have to take your hat off for trying. And I think the same with Rodlich. You know, he really pushed and obviously is is you know to try and take time on Froome when when Froome got dropped. Um, and he in, ended up winning the stage, which was his reward, but paid for it the next day in the time trial and subsequently lost the podium again. So, you know, these guys, they took the race on. Um, Quintana, you know, he wasn't great, but then won that stage and you know, it looked like, but then the day after again, kind of cracked again. So it, it was kind of a real up and down, but, you know, we did have some good moments from those guys, but just the consistency of, of Garin and Sky, you know, no one could match that. Um, Dumoulin probably came the closest in terms of, not really ever having a bad day. He had the misfortune to puncture and lose time and the murder Bhutan day. But other than that, he was right there. And obviously there was this, all this talk about can the Giro Tour double be done from sort of, I guess, you know, first and third is a, is a fantastic result in the Giro. But let's not forget Dumoulin's finished second in, in both the Giro and the Tour. So perhaps was more successful than Froome in that, in that, in that um, department. But brilliant rides from both those Froome and, and Dumoulin to think, to do the double like that and be on the podium both it was incredible really and something that they said couldn't be done in the modern age so great let's finish on a high what have been your highlights of the three weeks of working racing? with you certainly been the high biggest one handshake thanks very much <laughs> cheers <No. laughs> um, well Geraint Thomas winning you know we've got a new winner obviously um it's still Sky but it's still you know yeah, I think just a fresh face on top of the podium it's been uh, it's been brilliant to watch. It really has. What stood out for you, Molly? I think other than yeah, obviously G winning, and I also think Alaphilippe. That was like an exciting element. That race, you really attacked it. But I think also we've seen an, an emergence of other possible, you know, Grand Tour winners, possible Tour winners who perhaps weren't sure that was possible. I think someone like a Roglic that was a bet, and he almost got on the podium, and that was probably a step above what he was predicted to get. He was an outside bet for like a top ten, and then even like a Demoulin that they didn't really know what to expect. He'd never gone for GC in the Tour, and you think, okay, yeah, you did the Giro Tour double, maybe another year you don't do that, you go completely for the Tour, and he could be a challenger. So I think we've almost seen. Okay, maybe Sky had a bit of a stranglehold on this one, but we saw the emergence of some people who perhaps didn't think they could win the tour. Now maybe thinking, okay, possibly we could in a future year. Maybe that's going to mean the battles even hotter in, in the next edition. Yeah, and I think also Dan Martin as well, special yeah. mention because he uh, obviously he's won the Combat TV Award, which is rightly deserved as well because he lit up a lot of those mountain stages, and you know he was never never afraid to have a go, um, even when the race was on and Sky was clearly riding hard on the front. Dan would, you know, come along and have an attack and maybe get dropped as a result of it. But just an absolute fighter every day. It was it was brilliant to watch, really, and, and quite painful to watch him at those summit finishes, leaps hanging across his bike, you know, clearly in quite a lot of pain from as a result of it. So brilliant tour from Dan. Yeah, and that's something special about the tour, I think, that riders... So often you see them throw everything at the win, even when you think, okay, you know, statistically it looks unlikely now, and like you can see how the teams are riding. In other races, quite often you people preserve what they have, whereas it's almost a different beast that everyone is about winning the Tour de France. So it keeps riders like Dan Martin and like the lot of Yumbos, like they keep trying to win the race. So it adds that it adds an extra thing to this to it versus other Grand Tours, and maybe think, okay, I'm going to get a top ten or going to get a top five and conserve that. You can he kept attacking as if you know maybe this is the day I win a stage or maybe I take time and it kind of never gave up that hope and that lit up the race a lot and ultimately Garrett Thomas in yellow and as you mentioned earlier inspiring millions yeah the future 
cyclists well, of, of Britain. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think all them kids now in Wales and that that will go out tomorrow morning and summer holidays now on their bikes and pretend to be Grant Thomas. I mean, it's it's phenomenal, really, and that's what it does, and it's that rippling effect now. And I'm sure there'll be another kid there who's 11, 12 now that we might be talking about in 15 years' time that's winning the tour as a result of their hero, Grant Thomas, winning the tour. So for all the parents out there, what's better, balance bike or stabilisers when you're teaching somebody? Uh, neither. Yeah, <laughs> neither, I'd say. Get on a bike. Normal bike, yeah. pedals, push them, get on with it. Got to learn to crash early on. That's it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brutal but fair. Yeah. Well, that's all from us at the Bradley Wigan Show. Thank you very much for joining us over the last four weeks. Brad, Molly, absolute pleasure. Thank you Thanks, both. Thanks, guys. It's been brilliant. This has been a Muddy Knees Media production for Eurosport. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Visit Eurosport.com and the Eurosport app for an unrivaled Tour de France experience. Watch live, uninterrupted video streams of the whole race with a host of extra features. There's live blogging and analysis from Felix Lowe and in-depth breakdowns of the biggest stages in how the race was won. Plus, comprehensive news, race highlights and the best of Eurosport's live coverage. Eurosport.com is the only place you need to be throughout Latour. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.